Well, good morning, Hope Church. How's everyone today? Good, good. Uh, I want to begin this morning by uh, expressing on behalf of my wife and myself uh, the incredible appreciation that we have for all the notes, all the cards, all you people who took the time to text or or pull me aside and say thank you, express your appreciation, the cards, it's, it, it's all really overwhelming. And um, I thank you for that. I thank you for that from the very bottom of my heart and on behalf of my wife. It's not why we do what we do, but it certainly is nice to know that it's appreciated. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the privilege of being a part of this family. But I do want to begin by asking you guys a question. How many of you are familiar with the acronym TGIF? Yeah, everybody, right? Everybody's heard TGIF. What does that stand for? Thank goodness it's Friday. Well, there is another version. We're going to stick with thank goodness it's Friday. And it's a popular phrase because, look, most people look forward to Friday. The vast majority of the working world works Monday through Friday. They're off on the weekend. And most people, most people look forward to having a couple days off, a couple days to relax and not having to worry about the stress of uh, the job. This attitude is actually so prevalent that Sammy Hagar, and I know that if you know who Sammy Hagar is, you probably go, what are we talking about Sammy Hagar for? But Sammy Hagar wrote a song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend. And it became an incredibly popular song because this is a very prevalent attitude in this world. What about TGIM? You ever hear anybody say TGIM? Thank goodness it's Monday. That's, that's not a real thing because no one looks forward to Monday. That's when the world kind of starts closing in again, right? Monday mornings can be stressful. It's up early. It's, the kids are back in school. You're off to work. Maybe you have a commute and there's a lot of traffic on the way. And, and you bless your brothers and sisters out there as you go, right? When they cut you off, bless you, brother. Bless you. Isn't that how it goes? Maybe not. But you know what? That's when everything starts caving in again. And all that stress that you tried to relieve over the weekend, it's back. It's not surprising that statistics show that most heart attacks occur on Monday morning. And if we're perfectly honest, friends, we'll admit that it's not just our working world that can cause us stress, no. Look around, watch the news. That'll raise your stress level, if anything will, especially in an election season. Is anybody else sick and tired of all this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. There's so much division. There's so much divisiveness. There's so much seemingly hate. And, and, and when you look at everything that's happening in our world today, 
with, with the crime and, and, and the, the, the legalized murder of, of babies and, and the things that they're trying to do to our children and teach them. It's no wonder many people live in this constant state of anxiety and depression. So what about you? You find yourself living for the weekend so you can just escape? You look at everything that's happening in the world and you just feel like it's spinning out of control? Or maybe you are dealing with a lot of stuff in your life. Maybe an illness. Maybe a job loss. There's financial challenges. There's relationship issues. Family problems. Stress at work. Stress at home. Friends, we all face the some, some kind of circumstances that can cause unhappiness. But we cannot let the world steal our joy. Well, today we're wrapping up our series of messages entitled, A Joy-Filled Life. I said this at the very onset. I will say it again. As Christians, friends, we should be some of the most joy-filled people on the earth. The world should look at us and say, what do they have to be so joyful about? Now, we've been studying the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and what we've seen is this underlying theme of joy. It runs throughout the letter. And honestly, if we look closely, we will see that the entire New Testament speaks of joy. What did the angels say? To the shepherds, when he came to announce the birth of Christ, I bring you good news that will cause great what? Joy for all the people. Jesus told us on multiple occasions that he came that we may have joy and that our joy may be complete. And in the book of Philippians, Paul shows us that joy is possible. Joy is possible regardless of of our circumstances because joy is a choice. Joy is not some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that overtakes us. No, it is our attitude toward life. And everything that we've learned from Paul up to this point in this letter, it really has all been pointing in one direction. The joy that we can have on this journey we call life the joy that we can have despite our circumstances, it all points to faith. It all points to faith. Trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But so much more than that, it should be a joy-filled faith. Our scripture for today is in the book of what? Of course it is. We're finishing up. Last chapter, chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 23. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. It'll be on the screen for you as well. But as Paul wraps up this letter, what we're going to see is that he is going to point us to four aspects of this joy-filled faith. Four aspects. The first aspect is this. Faith-filled unity. Faith-filled unity. If you recall, 
earlier at the end of chapter 1 and going into chapter 2, Paul called for unity. He called on the Philippians, and of course he calls on us as well to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, to live as citizens of heaven. And what he calls us to is, is to stand firm, stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, having the same love, being in full accord. Unity. And now at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul re-emphasizes the importance of this faith-filled unity. He begins at verse 1 and says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So Paul begins by saying, therefore. And what that does is it points us back to what he had written previously, in particular towards the end of chapter 3, and we studied this last week, and we learned that there, there's another theology 101 word that we need to be aware of. We learned it last week. It begins with the letter G. Anybody? Glorification. G. J is joy. G. Glorification. Paul told us, if you recall, to keep straining forward, keep moving toward that prize, that day that we see Jesus face to face, that day that we receive our glorified bodies, that day that we are finally home in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But more broadly, really what Paul is saying here is, therefore, in other words, in light of all that I have written to you about, stand firm and united in the Lord. Place your trust in every circumstance in Him. Have faith. Then in verses 2 and 3, Paul calls out two women who apparently had been struggling with this idea of unity. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Unity. Unity. It seems that these two ladies had forgotten that their common ground was in Christ and the work to which they'd been called, humble service to the gospel. They had forgotten the importance of that unity in Christ. And Paul asks this unknown companion, along with the others here actually, to remind these two ladies of this and to reconcile them in Christ. See, sometimes it requires a third party to restore unity. It's one of the duties of our church family. And friends, make no mistake, in this divided world in which we live, they need to see a united church now more than ever. We need to stand united in Christ because, friends, that's our testimony. That's our testimony. And Paul goes on in verses 4 and 5 to really help us more, uh, understand more about how to achieve this unity. We achieve this unity, he says, we rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So one of the ways that we stand united is by rejoicing. Paul says rejoice. That's the major theme. It's the underlying theme of joy that we find throughout this letter. And here's the thing. This isn't a suggestion. You know, Paul's not saying, eh, you know, if you feel like it, rejoice. No, this is in the imperative. This is a command to rejoice. It's a command to choose joy regardless of what is going on around you. We don't rejoice in our circumstances. We know that. We rejoice in the Lord. And we're able to do that because of the confidence that we have in the God of creation. We know that he's in control. We know that he's working out his sovereign will. We can trust him. We can place our faith in him. We know he's good. We know that he loves us with a love that we can't really understand. We know he's all-powerful. We know that he is the source of all wisdom. And we know that he will never change. He'll never change. Our circumstances, they'll change, but he will not. We rejoice in the Lord because, and I'll bet you guys thought I forgot about this, our memory verse for this series, Nehemiah 8.10, what does it say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We can trust in him. We can place our faith in him regardless of our circumstances. The other way that we stand united is by, as Paul says in verse 5, by letting our gentleness be evident to all. Be gentle with one another. Be gentle. Other translations use, use several different words for this Greek word, and, and all of them are accurate. We see words like reasonableness, patience, modesty, forbearance. I think you get the idea, right? We humble ourselves and we treat each other with respect. We obey God's command to love one another. Second aspect of this joy-filled faith is faith-filled prayer. And these next two verses, I know that many of you cling to these, and that's great. We should. We should cling to these verses because Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what we have to understand here, friends, again, is that this is not just a suggestion. It really isn't. It's a command. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't worry and fret about your circumstances because all that's going to do is steal your joy. You cannot rejoice in the Lord when you're freaking out about everything that's going on around you and in your world. 
the answer, the answer to this anxiety is faith-filled prayer. It's faith-filled prayer. Give it to God. Trust in the God who loves you. Let him work it out. In every situation, every circumstance, pray to him. Cry out to him. And when you don't know what to pray, stand firm in the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is there interceding for you, praying for you with words that we can't even understand. But the truth is, God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. Many times our prayers are not answered because we don't ask. He, Paul's saying here, make your requests known. And yes, God already knows what we need, but he wants to hear from us. Sometimes he actually waits for our participation before granting our needs. Cry out to him, faith-filled prayer. And we do this, we do this out of gratitude. We do this with a grateful heart, remembering who God is and remembering what he has done for us already. And if we have faith like that, faith-filled prayer, Paul tells us that the promise, the promise is the peace of God. The peace of God will rule and guard your heart and your mind. The third aspect that Paul points us to is faith-filled living. Faith-filled living. In verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about some thing. Now, there's actually a couple of keys to this faith-filled living, and Paul kind of leads us into one here in verse 8. It has to do with our mind. And here Paul gives us a list of things that we should fill our minds with and meditate on. And all these words here that Paul gives us, they all translate very well from the original Greek, so we we needn't elaborate on each and every one. But the idea is this. We focus on concepts that inspire worship of God and humble service to him. That's what we focus our minds on. Paul emphasizes the importance of this throughout his writings. In Colossians 3, he says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In Romans 12, he also writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, We meditate on these things that Paul has listed here. Our minds are then transformed, and and the result is, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we take captive every thought to make it obedient 
to Christ. It's important. Our minds. Another key to this faith-filled living is found in verse 9. Because there, Paul returns to this idea of following his example. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now this is something that we talked about last week. Remember towards the end of chapter 3, Paul said, join in imitating me. 1 Corinthians, he says something similar. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And if we do this, if we do this, not only do we have the peace of God as Paul promised in verse 7, but here it tells us that the God of peace will be with us. He'll be with us. We not only have peace from God, but we have the God of peace, his presence. There's another key uh, to faith-filled living that Paul points to in verses 10 and following. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. So Paul here, he says, yes, I, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys care for me, that you guys care about my circumstances. But here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, it's okay. It's okay, and it's going to be okay. It's okay that I've been treated unjustly. It's okay that I've been beaten and I've been imprisoned. It's okay because Paul has learned to be content. No matter what, rich, poor, good, bad, full, hungry. But here's what I want us to, to really understand here. This is something that Paul had to learn. He had to learn this. He learned the secret to contentment. This is not something that comes naturally to mankind. It must be learned. And the secret? The secret to contentment is really quite simple. It really comes down to faith in God. Trusting Him in such a way that one can say, as Paul does in verse 13, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Paul says his ability to be content is only possible by the strength of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some other translations that I feel tend to be a little bit misleading because they don't say, I can do all this. They say, I can do all things. I can do all things. And unfortunately, many people claim this as some sort of a, you know, like super Christian mentality. I can do all things. But see, we have to read this within the context of the letter. 
Because what Paul's saying here is it doesn't mean that, that God is going to bless everything that we do. No. But we can do all of this. In other words, we can choose joy. We can learn contentment. We can learn obedience to God and humble service. And we do that by faith in Jesus and by his strength and nothing more. Remember he tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. The last aspect that Paul points to is faith-filled giving. It's faith-filled giving. Beginning at verse 14, he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, there's, there's lots to unpack in those verses here, but I, I, I want to keep it fairly simple, okay? So what Paul is saying is he's grateful for the support. He's grateful. They were the only church that supported him early in their ministry, early in the ministry of the Philippian church. What Paul wants them to understand is that their generosity toward him was really generosity toward God. And while the, benefit, the, the, the gift did benefit Paul, the true benefit was to them. The true benefit was to the Philippians. See, faith-filled giving, friends, does more for the giver than it does for the one who receives. And the reason for that is those who are faithfully generous toward God will find that God is faithfully generous toward them. And, as Paul tells us, will supply for their every need. Their every need. Notice Paul didn't say want, right? So often we, we confuse those two words, need and want. The Lord is going to give you what you need. And then Paul closes this letter in typical Pauline fashion, probably picking up the pen himself and writing this. He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of 
of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. So Paul finishes here with two final benedictions. Two final benedictions that just, that just reinforce his love and his longing that he has for this new Philippian church. Reminding the Philippians, and of course, friends, reminding us as well that true joy, true joy is a gift from God by the grace of Jesus Christ. Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Always. You know, in the world today, that may not be the easiest thing to do. But Paul has written us this letter. Yes, this is for us today. And he's written this letter to encourage us in our faith and to show us how to live a joy-filled life. Quite honestly, I think the most accurate acronym is TGIJ. Thank goodness it's Jesus. Thank goodness it's Jesus. See, our only hope, friends, our only hope is in Jesus. Our joy, our joy is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we praise your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for our hope and our joy. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your son, who came and gave his life for us. That we can live with joy. That we can look forward with joy to that day. That we'll see him again face to face. Lord, we thank you. And, and, and I just pray for each and every one of us here this morning. That, that we would know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Father, we thank you and ask for your blessing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning is a joy-filled morning. There's joy in the house of the Lord. And there's joy now because we have the incredible opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper. And there's joy in the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is a remembrance. A remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us. But you know, this supper also looks forward to the day when we will once again participate in this supper with the Lord Jesus himself. We remember, but we know that there's hope. And our joy is in that hope.
brothers and sisters, the Lord has prepared this table for all who love him and all who trust in him as their Lord and Savior. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and desire to live in obedience to him. You are now invited to join in this celebration. The Bible tells us that we are to rightly examine ourselves before we participate in this supper. Let us therefore ask God for the proper spirit in which to celebrate this sacrament. Let's pray. Almighty God, you know our every thought, you know our every deed, nothing is hidden from you. Pour out your spirit now that we may know our hearts and our lives and our inmost thoughts as you know them. Grant us your grace that we may repent sincerely of all sin, that we might find peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ and grow in our assurance of salvation in him. May we each offer a silent prayer of repentance. Lord, hear our prayers. Amen. Amen. I want to remind you that the elements are all gluten-free, so if anybody has any allergies, there's nothing to worry about here. But at his last supper, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins.
body of Christ broken for you. Eat and remember. same way he took the cup after supper and said this is the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me
blood of Christ shed for you. Drink and remember. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, for his willing obedience, giving up his body and his blood on the cross. Father, we ask that you would give us assurance that our sins are pardoned through his blood. Let your perfect love drive out fear. Make us perfect in your love. Fill our minds with your peace and help us to turn our eyes to heaven where Christ is at your right hand interceding for us. Enable us to offer up ourselves in service to Christ and may we continue living in the hope and the joy of our Savior's coming again in glory. Until that day, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.